0: Anyway, uh, it is uh, exciting to be here, um, to be here w- with you all. Uh, I just want to express my gratitude and thankfulness to Re- Redemption Tempe. Um, you know, I'm not going to go. I know Ricardo makes a lot of fun at Tucson and the U of A from up here. I'm not going to go there. I'm just, I'm going to be above that. I'll let, um, I'll let multiple NCAA basketball, you know, tournament. Um, a, appearances in a row and elite eights and final fours and a medical all that all that stuff speak for itself um i'm not going to go there so um no hey uh quick heads up just by way of introduction um i have a stutter so just so you know on the front end what's happening and um even though it is hotter in here than it is in tucson i don't have heat stroke and it's nothing like that so just a heads up um on that uh before we before we dive into it and um let me introduce you to my family first. This is these are the uh, the apples of my eye, uh, if you will. And uh, my wife, Kira, there. We met our from freshman year uh, in school down into Tucson, and then we have um, seven year old triplets right there: Cooper, Ellie, and Paisley. Um, and then our little, little exclamation point there, Zoe. Uh, she's two years old, and so that, that's my family. And um in a minute we're going to we're going to dive into Romans chapter 12 so if you don't have a bible with you if you'll go ahead and hold your hand up high um, if you don't own one please keep this okay we are a bible believing church we submit ourselves to god's word and we want everyone in the world to have a bible so hold your hand up if you don't own one please keep this if you do have one and you just for a Got it. You can um look, look, weave it in the back on your way out. And so um while they're uh, handing those out, I just want to want to introduce myself a bit so you know who I am, and you're not like who is this guy up here. Just to 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 share some of how God really um, came crashing into my, my life and my family's life, and why I'm excited to be a pastor and to be planning a church. And as Ricardo likes to say, the uttermost parts of the earth, Tucson. Um. So uh, I, my, my mom and dad, just quick little backstory. My mom and dad met. My mom's from England. Uh, my dad was in this service, and they were in Spain. And my mom was on vacation. My dad was in this service in Spain, and they met this romantic way and all this. And then they got married, and they, got, um, they had my oldest brother my older brother, who's 12 years older than I am, and then they moved back here, here to the States, and a couple years after that, they had my second oldest brother, brother. and he was born with, without arms. And so, you know, this is the late 1960s. Not a lot of people knew really what to do with, you know, someone born without arms, and they're like, what do we do with this? What do you make of this? And um, it's by no means his fault, just, you know, he's doing great. He's, you know, a great guy, has three adults, amazing kids, but their, their, their marriage wasn't built on the foundation of knowing and trusting and leaning on Christ, and, and just, you know, something like that really rocked them, and it kind of started to, 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 to creep into their marriage and kind of expose some of the unhealth there, and so that continued. My dad left his job. A couple years later, my third oldest brother was born, and then a few years after that, number four, um, I was born, and kind of the straw that broke the camel's bone back, if you will, uh, my my parents divorced like five when I was like f- five months old. They they broke up and they split up. And my mom went from having not worked to now having to you know provide for and raise four boys all on her own. And um, this is like the '80s, so my two older brothers were into all the things that the '80s had to offer. Uh, the second older brother, the one without arms, got into '80s rock, long hair, you know, doing drugs, and so. Our, our, our neighborhood wasn 't that good, our house got broken into a lot, and I was just a scared kid um, young young kid my, my My world was pretty chaotic and um, um, really in god 's incredible grace, which is his undeserved favor he just came crashing into my life into our family's life my mom was like i don't know what to do with these kids these four boys i know church so she just any church will do so she took us to a church that happened to meet in the high school cafeteria where my two oldest brothers had just gotten kicked out of high school and so we're there she kind of drags us there to church it turns out to be a charismatic church that meets in a high school cafeteria And um, I happened to be on the floor, like playing with some cars, and one adult was sharing the gospel with another adult. No idea I'm even there. And the Lord opened my heart to hear and understand the good news that God is making all things new through the person and work of Jesus. Now, of course, as a five year old, I couldn't articulate it like that, but I heard safety and hope and the power of God. And so I put my trust in Him. And, um, and it was authentic. And uh, my family was still pretty up and down. A lot, of, a lot of chaos, a lot of tumultuous life. And maybe some of you who have a similar story, uh, I struggled to really connect the dots with, I put my trust in Jesus, okay, my heavenly Father, Jesus is my Lord, but now what? Like, what do I do now? How do, what does that look like? And I would, you know, go to church with whoever would, would have me, whoever would kind of take me along, all kinds of different denominations and whatever. I would just go and, um, you know, I would hang out with my friends on Saturday night and we would watch m- movies like House party and some Spike Lee movies, do the right thing. And we'd watch Boys in the Hood and go around our neighborhood and, you know, be all thug-like. I was a little scrawny little white boy. I'd wear overalls with no shirt on, like LL Cool J. And we'd go egging and yell this stuff. And then I'd go to church, you know, the next day and just be like, okay, this is... And then by God's grace, he'd start to convict me and start to show me that knowing and believing in him translates into living a certain way. And um, like Paul is doing through Romans, he shows and connects the dots that thinking and believing rightly, knowing the character of God, translates into living a certain way. And um, in Romans, as Ricardo explained last week, Romans chapters 1 through 11 really hammer home who is God, what has he done, what is his character. What is he doing? Who are we naturally? And what does it mean to put our faith in him and to be adopted as as children, as sons and daughters? And then now in chapter 12, it kind of starts to take a turn. And in chapters 12 through 16, it really goes into the implications of that. The dots are connected, that believing and thinking rightly in who God is now translates into living in this way. And so for me, hearing a sermon like Rick, Ricardo preached last week was groundbreaking, life-altering to hear, oh, knowing these things are true about God looks this way in my life. And we learned last week, right, that all of life is all for Jesus. It's not just a phrase that we say or that looks, looks n- nice on a shirt, but that it, it, it translates. It comes from, from, from devoting our whole selves in response to the gospel it, it is an act of worship constantly, and that really hammered home on an individual level. And so now, in verse 3 of chapter 12 of Romans, it really starts to uh, uh, hammer home to what that means for us together. What are the corporate implications? What does it mean to not only be a follower of Jesus, but to be a part of His body his church what does that mean for us living together and so um i'm I'm excited to see what what god has in store for us through his word i'm going to go ahead and 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 pray and and ask that the holy spirit will lead us um individually and, and and that that will transpire into how we live together as his church so with that let's let's go ahead and pray thank you uh thank you lord for this time thank you for redemption church for redemption tempe it is exciting to be here um Lord, I do pray that that uh, you will speak to us, um, Holy Spirit. Will you will you come crashing in? As uh, I, I look back and see your incredible grace crashing into my own life and and in so many people's lives here today, I I pray you will crash into our church, into who we are corporately together as your. People And so I I pray that you will open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. And we do pray in his name. Amen. Okay, if you will, um, meet me in verse 3, chapter 12, beginning. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay, so the author here, Paul, begins. Okay, he's actually beginning somewhat of a call-out, kind of a check-yourself moment. But but he starts out with, for by the grace given to me. See, Paul rightly understands who he is, where he's come from. Some of you who know the story of Paul or Saul before Jesus um, came crashing into his life. He, uh, he, 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 was, he was a hater of Christians. He was persecuting and, and prosecuting and abusing and, and, and even in some cases seeking to have killed anyone who called on the name of Jesus. And so Jesus showed himself to Paul and what is referred to um, as, uh, as, um, as the great conversion of Saul. And he said, um, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus said that personally. So Paul began as a hater. A persecutor of Jesus. And and, and then he, he understands who he is. He understands that, that, that his role as an apostle. His authority in writing this letter. And the majority of the New Testament. Comes from the grace of God. That, that he the only thing he brings to the table. In terms of his relationship with God. Is sin. Like you and me. We're told... That um, we have all sinned, and and that, and that none is righteous. No, not one. And so there's there's a call here to be humble, to live humbly. But some of us, when we hear humble, we might think of again getting just shamed, put in our place, right? Like so, to be humble is is or or the word meek. It's like, man. Do I? What does that mean to 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 be humble? I, I, something comes to mind for me when I was um, I played f- f- football. Ricardo's not the only one who can talk about playing football from this stage. Clearly, I have a just track record of football prowess. Um, I did, though I played, I played football and, um, in high school, and uh, my, my, uh, my, my sophomore year, I got called up to the varsity, not really the varsity team, I got to stand on the sidelines, but the practice squad. And so some of you know what that means. It means that the good players, the players that will actually play in the games, get to practice the offense and the defense that the coaches have in store. And the practice squad, or the scrubs like me, get to stand out there and every week play in a different form- formation that will look like the opposing team that the actual starters will be saying, seeing. In- playing against. So anyway, I'm on my way up and I'm on the practice squad. I'm playing on the practice squad defense and we had a guy who was supposed to be all state. He had gotten injured and now he was just coming back from an injury and he's out there and I'm in my spot and and sure enough, everything happens like it's supposed to and it's I'm the one in my place supposed to tackle him. And he's coming around and he's a senior. This guy's cool. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why I'm 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 kind of nervous. And so I kind of closed my eyes. Next thing I know, I tackled him. I laid him out, and I jumped up. I didn't do anything like, you know, shove his face in the ground or anything. I just jumped up all all happy. Before I knew it, he's in my face, like cussing me out, and I'm kind of back pedaling and then the coaches come over and they're and I'm like oh good they're impressed with my my tackle they're gonna come you know to my defense and they start they're like who do you think you are you went you went low on him you tackled his knees and he's coming back from surgery you're just a little soft what are you thinking and I'm like I went low that's my only option like (laughs) I mean I went low um but I I I walked back to the sidelines um ashamed put in my place, just with my head hanging low. Is that biblical humility? Is that what God calls us to through faith in Jesus, to a place of shame? No, biblical humility means that we understand, as it said earlier in Romans chapter five, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. As Paul says here, think soberly, think rightly, means that everything comes through the filter of the gospel, means that we understand that while we're yet sinners, okay, so we start out, we bring nothing to the table but our sin, right? Some of us maybe think too highly of ourselves, and so thinking rightly, thinking soberly means that we understand we are sinners, enemies of God, while we're yet sinners, but then as someone has referred to and I've really latched on to this idea the gospel produces humble boldness. We think rightly of ourselves not too highly but God demonstrates his love by sending his son to die for us. As we learned earlier in Romans he calls you a son or a daughter adopted into his family. Call it, the author Paul is calling us When we rightly understand the gospel, the good news, we live humbly. And living humbly, from there, we are able to engage others correctly, to engage others rightly, and to love faithfully. So pick up with me in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So much of um, what Jesus saves us from is our, is our consumption with self, our absolute individualistic, it's all about me obsession God created us individually and together to reflect him in our relationships, in our worship, in our life, to reflect him in every way, to bear his image. But sin, what the Bible refers to as the fall, broke in, and we said, thanks but no thanks, God. It's all about me. It's all about number one. And then Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, dies a sacrificial death, and raises victoriously from the dead so that all things are made new. Not just so that we now get to go to heaven and get to have access to God, but part of that is our freedom from obsession with self. And let's be honest together this morning, how many of us struggle with that? Even our approach to church, we come with kind of what's in it for me? I need to get fed. I'm all about the worship. I'm all about this. and it's, We run things through the filter of what do I want? What's going to boost me up? What's going to make things better for me? rather than understanding that Jesus frees us from obsession with self. For many of us, we stay on the fringes. We fail to be involved. We fail to see ourselves as a member of a body because of consumerism, because we come and we just want it to be all about us. One um, guy, hopefully a lot of you have heard of and heard from, his name's Tom Schrader. He's I can't even explain him really. He's influenced Redemption Church and helped plant Redemption Church and um, First East Valley Bible. God has used him incredibly well. And he, and, he, um, and, and he says something that only he could say, so I'll just quote him. But he says, when we come and just want to get served and get fed and get fed and we want to just be fed, if that's not flowing out, that leads to spiritual constipation. So we, so just there's an image for you. If we come and just consume and consume and it never is lived out, we're spiritually constipated. Again, the imagery here is that we're bought into a family. It's not just about us. Or the imagery specifically is that of a body. So if you will, turn real quick with me or we'll have it up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're actually the same guy, same author, Paul. In verse 14 explains a bit more what it looks like to live as a body. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say because I am not a hand I do not belong to the body, that would make it that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say because I am an eye I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in one body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Again, we are created to function together, to serve together. You are needed. If you think too highly of yourselves... You're not that special. But for many of us, maybe we think too lowly of ourselves. And we, rather than consumerism keeping us from being engaged and serving in the body, perhaps fear keeps you on the fringes. I I know this is true of a lot of people. That the call to love others, the call to be faithful in our attendance, in our service, in our love of others... We're so hindered by fear because when we get close, what will others do to me? What will happen if I'm really a part of the body, an indispensable part of the body, part of a family? What will happen? My association with being a part of a family or of a close community is, is scary. It's been hurtful in the past, so I'm going to stay on the, on the fringes. Is that, is that you? Do you associate with these two guys right here? Um, yeah, if you might re- recognize them, they're on the worship team up here at Redemption Tempe. <laughs> hipsters. Um, no, that's actually Simon and Garfunkel, the r- r- original hipsters. Um, but they, they have a song, um, I Am a Rock. Some of you have heard this. I'm a rock, I'm an island. Um, a rock feels no pain, an island never cries. If I never loved, then never would I um, Would i cry i 'm a rock i 'm an island. The whole song is about man, it hurts to be close, so stay back. Consumerism and fear lead us to staying back, but Jesus has come so that we can be near and close, rightly understanding that we are fully loved. Does that settle in with you do you under, do you rest in the truth that Jesus loves you so much that that, that your your need for love from others is there for God's love to be expressed through others. But but this fear of, I might get hurt, I might be found out, God fully knows you. And he fully loves you. So that the gospel, the good news, is that we are so fully loved... That when we think rightly, when we understand the gospel rightly, we live humbly and we can love faithfully in response to the faithful love of Jesus. And from there, flowing out in how we live together, we can serve radically. So pick back up with me in verse 6. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Um, First of all, this isn't an exhaustive list, okay? You don't need to look at this and say, all right, which one am I? Well, none of those really fit. I don't really understand prophecy, so I guess that's it. Or you know I uh, whatever one who teaches I guess I can teach I had a t- teacher once okay, the, the point here is not to like look for this and say okay that's my gift in fact um, over in First Corinthians chapter twelve and thirteen and, and in chapter fourteen of First Corinthians and all throughout in all sorts of different places different gifts are talked about and there are all sorts of ways to learn those things but what we don't do. Is what probably a lot of us are 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 compelled to do is to look at something and say that's probably my gift and I'm going to hold on to it with a kung fu grip that can't be pried from my hands or you know this is my little pet gift and I'm going to just you know keep it and cuddle it and I'm going to use it however I want and um, no one can speak into that you know the the truth is a lot of us don't know how God has wired us how He wants to use us how He's gifted us like me you might be someone who is a six teen-year-old in high school, um, the youth pastor encouraged you to do something so you did it and you impressed the cute g- g- girl so you put those two things together. The youth pastor was impressed. This girl was impressed. Clearly, I have the gift of whatever that was. No, throughout life, in different seasons, in different contexts, we start to understand how God has wired us and how he wants to use us to puff us up and to give us an I identity apart from him? No. How he wants to use us, the whole theme here, going back to verse 3, rightly understanding that the gospel frees us from obsession with self. Some of the best words we can understand, it's not about me. And from there, we're freed up. We're freed to learn and to grow how we can serve. And, um, it, for me, right now, in the context I'm in, does that mean I say, okay, the gift of teaching and his teaching, that's it. I can't do anything else. Um, in my small church, of, our church plan of about 50 people, I can't help set up chairs. I have to be flown in by helicopter and let down through the rafters because I have the gift of teaching, and that's about it. So, <laughs> clearly not. We're, yeah, we have different functions and we different gifts, and that doesn't mean that we all do everything but it means that our posture, our understanding, is that we have been freed so that we might serve. Not that we have gifts that we hold on to, but that we can serve God, serve one another, serve others in every way. And as you see here, there's a, there's a sense of, of, um, of, of radical exhortation. He says, uh, to the one who leads with zeal, not like half-heartedly, not lazily, but like, put, it, put your all into it. The one who has compassion, not just kind of flicking, you know, nickels at people and you're compelled to have compassion, like, oh, half-heartedly, whatever. I have compassion, so I guess I'll do it, or whatever it is. Like, no, with, with, with generosity. And, and, and as we start to understand how God has wired us, how he's gifted us, things that he's given us to reflect his image, to bless others, we can do it with zeal. I think of a couple People, one who might be in here today, but a couple people, one at Redemption. Hilbert, I've known her and her husband since uh, for like 12 years. I got to disciple him in college, and by God's grace, we're now here in the same church, in the same area, and we get to, um, you know, serve alongside one another, and, um, and so last year, as I was driving back and forth, I tend constantly. A couple times, I would spend the night up here, and, 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 and I'm thankful if I get to sleep on a couch, or in the car, or wherever, in the floor, wherever it is, I'm, I'm thankful, and I would get rest, but when I go to these people's house, or I think of Benjamin Jensen and his wife L- Lacey, and you s- understand these people have the gift of hospitality, and these two homes I would go to, and I didn't even know I was exhausted or weary, but I'd, they'd be like, yeah, here's your room, your guest room, and you'd go in there, and like, all the colors work, and you're just like, wow, I feel, I feel refreshed, and you go to sit down on the bed, and there's like flowers there, and a little, little Bible verse on the wall, and... I just wake up and like, wow, I have a skip in my step. I feel, I feel refreshed. And you see, these people have hospitality and they don't just, you know, yeah, sure, sleep, whatever, I guess I'm supposed to be hospitable. They put their heart into it, their life into it. What, what does that look like if we understand the giftedness of God that he's given us to serve, to serve within the church, to serve in our communities, to serve in such a way? that we truly are gospel-centered and outward-focused. Again, not just a phrase that we throw around. comes back to biblical truth, thinking rightly of ourselves and of God and of others, that we're then freed up and empowered, compelled to love others. So as we, as we close, I want to ask you, what does this mean right now in the chair that you're s- sitting in? What does this mean for you? How do you respond Do you understand the gospel, the fullness of the gospel? That you individually and we together created to reflect God in every way. But because of sin, because of our consumption with self, we turned away from God. But he doesn't leave us there. He sent his son Jesus to restore all things. He says in Revelation, behold I'm making all things new. To restore us individually and to restore us corporately together. Have you trusted Jesus? Do you know that the very best thing for you is that Jesus gives you freedom, freedom from self, freedom from um, uh, uh, obsession and, and, and isolation all by yourself? What does this look like to live humbly, to love faithfully, to serve radically? It means Thinking soberly, thinking rightly, understanding that, that, that living humbly means you first look to Jesus. You don't just muster up being humble. You look to Jesus who, though he is God, humbled himself and lived on the cross. Lived and put himself on the cross to die in our place. So that by understanding the gospel, we can too live humbly. What does it mean to love faithfully? It means you look to Jesus You don't just muster up love, but you understand that while we're yet sinners, God demonstrates his love for us. And in response to the perfect love of Jesus, we are now freely able to love, to love God and to love others in all of life. To serve radically, what does that look like? Do we just try, okay, first of all, do something, right? We don't want to be spiritually constipated. Give of ourselves, ask, fill out a contact card. I want to serve, I want to be involved. What does that look like? If you don't know, ask, let's, how do I develop and understand how God's wired me? But always coming through the lens of the gospel. Understand that Jesus, though he's almighty God, the beginning and the end, the one who created, who said, let there be light, said that he came not to be served, but to serve. So in response to our Lord and our Savior, we are now free to serve radically. What does that look like for us as a church? What does Tempe look like? What does Tucson look like? Uh, The people of God living together, understanding the gospel so rightly that we live and love and serve in such a way that God is glorified, that our communities are blessed, and that Jesus is made much of. I'm excited amen we can say amen come on okay we're going to now consider how we respond to what Jesus has done and as we see here what he is doing and what he has in store for us so let's let's respond and, and pray now